12, this morning we are continuing this study of giving hope. This is one of our motives as a church. We talked about um, the goodness of the gospel last week, but this morning we're going to talk about the fact that not everybody seems like a good prospect for hope. Has anyone here ever known someone that you would have categorized as a hopeless case? Like, you know, and if they're sitting next to you, you don't have to, I get it, I get it, it's uncomfortable. The lost cause, you know, that person, you're just like, that person will never be saved. And you just feel that. And so I think that oftentimes that's one of the things that prevents us or keeps us from sharing the gospel with them because they just seem so far from God. This morning... As we consider Mark chapter 5, we're going to learn that there are just no such people in the world. There are no hopeless cases when Christ is present. So I invite you to stand with me. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 5. It's an extended passage, verses 1 through 20. You can find this on the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles as well. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, as we consider... The most hopeless case that I can imagine encountering and what happens when he meets Jesus. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he often had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, do not torture me.'" For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon this time, this morning. Heavenly Father, we 
We thank you for your word, Lord, that confronts us in our doubt and our unbelief and refocuses us on your power and your purpose. Lord, we pray that if we have come into this room this morning feeling like we are a hopeless case or that we have hopeless cases in our life, that, Lord, you would give us hope to press on in the mercy of Jesus, that others might be transformed and might tell of what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' matchless the name, the name that is above every name. Amen. If you're taking notes, we have two points this morning. And the first thing that I want us to see is the misery of the demoniac. This is what this man is typically called, the demoniac. The misery of the demoniac, which is detailed in verses 1 through 10. It's interesting, as, as soon as Jesus steps off the boat, it's as though his presence provokes demonic power. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you as you're sitting there, maybe in discomfort, maybe with full awareness of such things, I think one of the greatest ploys of our enemy, the devil, at least in the West, is to convince us that things like demons and demonic power and spiritual warfare just don't happen. I think if you went and talked to people, especially those that live in other parts of the country or in other parts of the world, they would tell you, yeah, spiritual warfare is alive and well. And what's happened in America or what's happened in the modernized West is we just think we're too smart for those things. I still believe that demon possession, demonic activity, spiritual warfare is a reality and Christians should not shirk back from those things that's in God's word. And so as Jesus steps on to the shore, he provokes the demonic presences and the forces that would attack him. If you've read any portion of Mark 1, you know that one of the things that Jesus is doing is he is declaring that the kingdom of God has come near in his own person. To speak of the kingdom of God is the reign of God. And one of the ways that the reign of God is demonstrated through Jesus' presence is how Jesus heals the sick and delivers those that are demon-possessed and how Jesus raises the dead. And he does all kinds of miracles. He walks on the water. He's raised from the dead. It shows that some new power is at work in the world through Christ himself. But that does not mean that the kingdom of darkness intends to go quietly. And so Jesus steps out of the boat and he finds this tormented, demon-possessed man. I want you to look back in your Bibles again at verses 3 through 5. Oh, just just, just. Meditate upon the fact that this is not a myth. This is a real person. These verses are heartbreaking. We're not told how long this man lived in this state, but we are at least told in verse 19 that he had a family, a people that were his. Go back to your people. And so put yourself in his shoes, put yourself in his family's shoes. People didn't travel all over the world like we do. Typically, people were born, and they would typically were raised, and they would put their own family, they would, they would raise their own family in their own area. And, and, and these tombs in which this man lived, they wouldn't have been so far. Can you imagine hearing your loved one scream night after night in the hills? But then knowing that if you went to subdue them, they break the chains off their hands and their feet, and they will attack you. 
What a torturous situation to be in. He had supernatural strength that was unexplainable. He lives in misery, spends spends days in agony, self-destruction, cutting himself, screaming. He's a tortured, tortured man. I love how one commentator puts it. He says, Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in an unclean occupation, all in unclean Gentile territory. In a more poetic way, Michael Card, a songwriter, states it this way, bruised, bleeding, and unclean. He lived the life of a bad dream. He sought impossible freedom there at his feet. So here is this man, he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And the demons address Jesus, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? So you notice that even now they recognize that they are subject to him, but they are not leaving without a fight. They beg him, they're kind of territorial, they're regional demons. They said, we would really like to stay in this area, so if you cast us out, there's 2,000 pigs that we would prefer for you to cast us out into. And we go, oh, that's not a problem, unless you're a pig farmer. That's a problem, right? So it's one of the things that we're going to see is that sometimes when Jesus shows up in kingdom power, it's pretty disruptive. That's why the people are like, could you leave? <laughs> You've kind of caused some trouble for our economy, which tells us that sometimes people are more worried about money than people being delivered from demon possession and oppression. But Jesus shows up and he addresses the demons. What is your name? And they say, we are legion. What does that mean? It's a Roman military term, typically describing about 6,000 foot soldiers. So hence when the demon says, there are many of us. We're not talking two or three. We're talking at least enough to possess and overcome a herd of 2,000 pigs. This man is tormented. He is the definition of a hopeless case. Agreed? No one can subdue him, and they've tried. So how does Jesus respond in this hopeless, like this hopeless situation? Does he look at the tormented man and go, you know, this is, this is a lot. It's a lot to ask for. We see what Jesus does in verses 11 through 20. So, if you're taking notes, we see the misery of the demoniac in verses 1 through 10. But then in verses 11 through 20, we see the mercy of the Savior. Look here at verses 11 through 20. There's a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us into these pigs. As I've already mentioned, this represents the livelihood of many people, many people that were likely very wealthy. So Jesus grants the demons their wish, run off into the pigs, take off. And then people hear about this, and it becomes a spectacle. You mean to tell me, can you, can you imagine that? You, I don't hear him screaming anymore. What happened? Oh, you didn't hear about Johnny? Good Greek Jewish name there. 
You didn't hear? That guy Jesus got off a boat and all the demons addressed him. How did he subdue him? He used his words. But all the times we subdued him, he broke the chains. Yeah, he's clothed, he's in his right mind. But there's a problem. They killed all of our pigs. So the people, the region, the Gerasenes, were scared and upset. So they show up, they see the man, they're like, what type of power is this that is willing to save one man, yet disrupt the whole community over it? He's sitting here in his right mind. He's dressed, he's ready to go. But they were fearful. They wanted him to leave. Wow, that's amazing. But I don't know if we could be comfortable around, around such power. Would you please leave? And so Jesus honors their wish and he starts to get on the boat to leave. But there's one man who's saying, I don't want you to leave, but if you're going to leave, I want you to go with me. And it's this demoniac who has now become a disciple who's been set free, who's been relieved of his chains and his oppression and his bondage. And he goes to Jesus and he says, I want to go wherever you go. I want to follow you. Now that makes perfect sense. Can you imagine the itinerary, like what that would have done to Jesus' itinerant ministry? What do you mean by itinerant ministries? You know, he, he would go from town to town and he would preach. And people are like, why should we listen to you? Well, listen to the testimony of this man. Tell, let this man tell you what I delivered him from. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're not coming with me. Go back to your people and tell them the greatness of the mercy of God. And he did, and they were amazed. They were transformed like he was transformed. He goes out and he proclaims how much Jesus had done for him. And the people worship Jesus as a result of it. His very presence among them declared the greatness of the power of Christ. So this morning we're looking at this idea of giving hope as it relates to hopeless cases. So what could we or should we learn from this story this morning? I believe it should cause us to think deeply about the great mercy of Jesus. When the mercy of Jesus meets us in our self-injury, in our self-destruction. When the mercy of Jesus meets us in our bondage to sin and to death. When the mercy of Jesus meets us in our addiction, in our isolation, in our rejection, and in our uncleanness, we find that his mercy trans forms us. His power is great, even if sometimes it is often disruptive. Our misery is no match for the mercy of Christ. And that is what the demoniac found, and that's what we need to find, whether we're the hopeless case that walked in this morning, or we're the one that walked in with hopeless cases on our mind. That lost loved one, that son, that daughter, that granddaughter, that grandson, 
that niece, that nephew, that friend, that spouse, that brother, that sister, that father, that mother, that neighbor, even that enemy. You go, there's just no way. Their hearts are just so hard. So was yours before the living God came and took out the heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. And the God that did it to your heart is the God that's still in the business of showing mercy to miserable people. People that are in chains, that are bound. There is hope, not because of how good we are in the presentation of the gospel, but in how good the one that we present is. Christ himself. In this morning's passage, we encounter a man who is the definition of a hopeless case. He was a man controlled by an unclean spirit, living in isolation, a social reject, lived in tombs. Can you imagine a worse existence? Separated from his family. But one encounter with the living Christ changed him. And that's all it takes for us as well to be made clean and whole again. We may never find ourselves in the shoes of the demoniac. We might not ever know anybody that's in a situation like this. But we all need this transformative encounter with Jesus. And this man's encounter serves as an everlasting testimony to just how powerful he is. Do you feel hopeless when you consider your own situation this morning? Do you feel hopeless when you consider the situation of others this morning? Just as this story testifies to Jesus driving out the demons that possess this man, my prayer is that your hopelessness would be driven out through Jesus this morning. That you would behold the power of Christ to overcome misery with His mercy. Think about what the Lord Jesus did did for this man and recognize that He can't and He will do it for you if you would humble yourselves and come to his feet and plead for mercy. If this story tells us anything, it tells us that no one is beyond the power of the mercy of Christ. We can share this hope. There are no lost causes. There are no hopeless cases only people in need of Jesus' mercy. A mercy that we need to experience. A mercy that we need to share with others. Would you pray with me this morning? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.